0: Welcome to Thoughtbox. My name is Trius.
1: And my name is Hannah.
0: A lot of controversy has been sparring within China after a video went viral of a COVID worker employed by the Chinese government literally brutally murdering a corgi with three hits to the head with a shovel because its owner had tested positive for COVID and had been imposed to quarantine.
1: So that really begs the question of how countries have been handling COVID. <laughs> it actually begs
0: so many deeper questions about the Chinese government. I think much more deeper than how, how countries handle COVID.
1: I mean, I think it really is a testament to China's zero COVID policy. It's like like not know, even a not, not even, even a, corgi, a dog, can not have even COVID. a corgi. And I think like in the beginning, I mean, like twenty twenty how China handled it, their, you know, whole zero COVID rule and everything, it it worked, you know? Like, a lot of people were like, look at how well China's doing economically, you know? They've really been able to open up because they've been able to isolate themselves and people are now able to go out again, etc. While America was still, you know, kind of struggling with getting the vaccines out, lots of people were dying and people were... Starting well, this was really late. early on. Oh yeah. Like, I
0: remember NYU had told us back in March of 2020 that go home for two weeks and then we'll reassess the situation. Two weeks <laughs> later, China had already had COVID since January. We had just been hit by it. And I remember two weeks later, we got the email saying, come to campus, get your stuff, go home. We're shutting down for the semester and for the foreseeable future. And I remember seeing on CNN videos of fireworks in like Disneyland in Shanghai showing how China was back to normal but America just started its spike with COVID.
1: Yeah, no, and we've talked about this, but I was in high school, I was a senior back then. And, you know, I my family was like, you need to go back to China as soon as possible because America is doing really, really bad. And part of the reason why they were so worried was because, you know, America didn't really have any rules or policies in place to limit the spread. You know, it was kind of like, do as you wish with this information there are no enforced policies what's going to happen and in China people were perceiving that to be a detriment to people's health because they were like well no one's going to want to stay home
0: yeah I, I would push back on that a little bit there was forced closure of businesses for weeks at a time and there was a couple instances that was going viral it was rare but it was going viral about police officers arresting business owners who are trying to go back to work to open up their business and start serving customers because they desperately needed the money. And I think America, to its credit, did a very good job in giving money to people. We sent out pretty much immediately through a bipartisan act, $1,200 to Americans. And what that did, and along with extending unemployment supports, basically, if you were unemployed uh, because of COVID and you'd been let go, you would get $600 a week. So I think we made it really easy for people to stay home. Yes, no, no officer was waiting outside your door making sure you couldn't leave. But I think the incentives were lined up. And right at the beginning of COVID in America, it seemed like we were gonna work together across party lines to get through this. That really will change, I think, during the summer. But let's, let's pivot now to like the difference of what's going on in America and China today. Because now America, we're pretty much can do whatever we want. We don't even have to wear masks. Well, now in, in
1: Philadelphia.
0: Right, which is like a, a de- development of like the last 24 hours. But in general, America's like pretty much back to normal. We treat COVID like it's behind us. But right now, or very recently, Shanghai was just completely shut down because they had a very small percent of people test positive for COVID, even though they're not having, as, as, as upon their own reporting, zero, they're having zero deaths. So today, the situation is drastically different. And why would you say it's so drastically different? I think one is it's it's hard to know because we never really have an accurate picture of what's going on in China. I remember hearing when COVID first happened that they were severely underreporting the amount of cases in Wuhan, yet satellite images were showing a lot of, like an unprecedented amount of caskets being piled up around funeral homes in Wuhan, which is showing that there was clearly a spike in death even though the government was not reporting it nearly as high. So it, it goes to suggest that maybe a similar situation might be true today, or maybe it's actually like a completely asymptomatic disease and they're just so pressed on the zero COVID that they don't know what to do. It, it's, it's hard to know what's really happening on the ground and if the medicine the government should provide actually fits the poison.
1: And I think it's interesting you touch on that because it really plays into and emphasizes the politicalized nature of COVID and how that has become also an issue. Like, for example, you mentioned that China's government has been able to kind of frame the narrative around COVID and influence its citizens on what they think. But I would argue that similarly, during Trump's administration, he was able to do that, too, you know. He was able to downplay COVID. and. So while China was able to kind of really like influence how important COVID was um, because they basically enforced lockdowns, America did the complete opposite.
0: Yeah. Uh, Firstly, I would be careful in drawing a comparison between Trump and China, because while Trump did downplay the impact of COVID and how lethal it is and like how effective different kinds of solutions would be. He told
1: you, he said you could basically drink.
0: Drink, um, drink bleach yeah yeah okay but the thing is there was a lot of room for dissent against what trump was saying within the you know media ecosystem right oh. but in comparing that to china it's a little different because there's no room for dissent against what china is saying is about it's is true or not true about covid whereas everyone it was very polarized in america right. because we have room for dissent and but i to think cal- most, but, to, but okay, most important real quick first. is Trump was then removed from office months after in part because of his handling of COVID so the people on the ground played a role in how the government's handling COVID through that election. The people in the ground in China, there's videos of people protesting against the COVID workers saying we're hungry and we're starved and that we're tired of this. Um, there's this one video of a man saying like, "I, I don't care what the communist party does to me. Like, just let me have my business back. Um, CNN was playing that and then said they can't confirm if it's true yeah, or not. Yeah,
1: we, we here at Thoughtbox cannot. We confirm. cannot confirm if
0: that is true either. CNN can't. But it's interesting. that like, there's a lot of, a lot of clearly a lot of frustration against how China's handling its zero COVID policy and if whether the people think they're being too strict. But that the zero COVID policy is not going to go away until Xi Jinping and his government decide it should go away.
1: But should you even be allowed to dissent science?
0: That's that's an interesting question. Should you be allowed to dissent science? I think yes. Because what if it turns out later on, new science comes out, that the coronavirus was nowhere near as lethal as we had initially thought, and we had completely overreacted. You know, a lot of people lost jobs, businesses shut down, and we would never know because we didn't allow dissent to our initial science. Because even within coronavirus, the coronavirus pandemic in America, the science was changing, right? Dr. Fauci first said, masks aren't gonna do anything. Then new research came out that it would do something and he started saying everyone should wear masks. So dissenting against science is hard when the science is quickly changing. And saying that we shouldn't be allowed to dissent against science is, I think, creates a lot of room for the government to be able to do anything they want without accountability.
1: Right. But at least the government has people or I hope they have people who are experts in that field, you know, allowing people or allowing dissenters who literally know, mind my French, no shit about like COVID or, you know, diseases in general, allowing them to say, oh, no, masks are not helpful at all or masks like, have no efficiency whatsoever, that leads to a lot of misinformation. So, although I understand your point, obviously I am for, like, people being able to speak their minds, I think there should be a level of also respect for what authorities have to say. Because, yes, I can admit that I don't know that much about science. And I don't want to be one of those people who can do as much as I want with information because I know for example like some people some scientists know what's best for me and I don't recognize that and I need them to put me on the right path in order for me to like take care of my health it's the same with like parents you know sometimes they genuinely know best and it sucks to have them kind of enforce restrictions on you but it's just simply because they've had more experience
0: so let me ask you a question let's say we weren't allowed to dissent against what the science and the experts were saying in government. And Trump was still in power. And he was saying that, um, that COVID is not a big deal. People should be able to do whatever they want. You know, assumingly he's backed by the, the, the best scientists in the world that work in the government. Should me and you not be allowed to question that because he's the president and the government is saying it and they must be backed by science?
1: Well, of course, when you use that example, when someone is wrong...
0: But how do you know they're wrong, right? Like, when Trump was in power, and he was backed by all these scientists that were working in the government, because at the end of the day, like they but were his he, advisors. But he
1: countered his scientists' claims.
0: They, but they weren't allowed to message as strongly as they do now under the Biden administration.
1: I mean, I think, like, I can pose the same question back to you. You know, like, what if all the scientists were right and they knew everything about COVID early on. Imagine if they were able to enforce policies. Imagine how many lives would be saved right now.
0: Yeah. So I think I think that's interesting because it just hits on like the core of the debate of people being misinformed results in negative consequences. But people have a right to be misinformed. But to what extent?
1: Right. So that's kind of like the political aspect of COVID that we discussed and like the difference between how the Chinese government was able to handle it and the American government simply because of political differences. But you mentioned something interesting about Italy and their government, how it isn't just really maybe politics and their influence, but also cultural relations and how that plays into how COVID maybe spread um, or was handled within a country.
0: Yeah, so as, as you may remember, right when COVID had hit in America about a month later, there was a lot of reports about how Italy was just getting washed by COVID and people were looking at whether it was because they were lax or they were too strict on COVID or like whatever the reason was. And at the end of the day like there were differences between how Italy handled it and the rest of the European Union handled it but largely it was the same. So one of the reasons why Italy got hit so much harder by COVID than America and the rest of the EU was because Italy has a very strong family uh, culture where they have much higher elderly population, but the elderly population is also very concentrated in areas and they're very close with the younger relatives that they have in their family who are constantly visiting their older parents. So that kind of cultural dynamic is like a great petri dish to just spread COVID. All right. One-third of the deaths, then, you look at it in America, were elderly people, and a large portion of that was in nursery homes. So had we, from the get-go, been really tough on regulations in nursery homes, that no more visitations, staff had to get checked every single morning, just a lot stricter than it was in the beginning, or rather than just, like, general lockdown, we would have avoided a third of the amount of deaths, while not having to put everyone in a blanket lockdown.
1: Interesting.
0: So it, it kind of shows how policy only goes so far in what the government does. For example, Hong Kong used to do this uh, right when COVID started. I had a friend who went to Hong Kong and they literally gave him a number. It was like 11376. And then he was basically being tracked and it was, it was to make sure that he couldn't leave his house. It was to enforce quarantine. So it's kind of what we were talking about earlier how the US really strongly suggested the two week quarantine and people basically followed it, but they weren't cops checking on you. In Hong Kong, they essentially were checking it on you. Hong Kong right now has a really bad COVID situation, but the way they stopped COVID hasn't really changed. And I think the differences between these countries, because I spent all day trying to figure out what is it that some countries did that made them successfully handling COVID? And what are what is it that other countries did that made them really bad at handling COVID? And I couldn't really find a strong tie. And I think it's because the tie isn't into what the country actually does. I think it's about, the dynamics of the people there. If you have a lot of older people and they're very closely tied to the younger people that are fast and moving around and these super spreaders interacting with the very vulnerable sick elderly people, you're gonna have a situation where COVID can spread like wildfire. Which is why in populations we have a lot younger people like South Korea or Taiwan, what you find is that COVID did not spread nearly as fast there. Did that have anything to do with their policy? I'm sure part of it. But you could argue that if just the population dynamics that played a larger role.
1: Also what really stuck out to me about Hong Kong was that similar to like South Korea and those Asian countries they dealt with SARS so they have experience mm-hmm. but for some weird reason Hong Kong didn't handle it as well as South Korea where the other Asian countries did but they had as i mentioned like you know they should have learned from their mistakes i think ultimately what led hong kong to not do as well as the asian countries is larger than the poli- as we mentioned the policies enforced by the government but the overall dare i say vibe of the people i think a lot of people in hong kong don't trust the government mm. and so even were even if the government were to enforce policies people would be like fuck you, no, we're not going to do that. But I think, like, in China, for example, yes, there's room to, like, there's no room for dissent. But I also emphasize this in today's SPEC's meeting. It's because America downplays how much Chinese people trust the government. A lot of citizens just believe that the government knows what's best for them. And, yes, that's maybe due to the lack of information there is. But also, I think it's that honestly, like it is the scientists that are speaking. And at the end of the day, China has been able to save a lot of lives, given the amount of people in their population. We can't ignore that. Um, But I think a large part of how countries were able to handle the cases were also how the government and the people have developed a certain bond.
0: Right. I think information must play a huge role because we don't actually know how many more lives China saved compared to other countries through its policies because we just don't have the numbers, right? Right. But I could totally understand how if the information you're getting is that... um, And you were talking about this earlier uh, in a separate conversation how there's this enormous juxtaposition between how China's handling COVID and how America's handling COVID and America it's spreading like wildfire, but in China we can do whatever we want. I can totally understand how that juxtaposition frames to the mind of Chinese citizens that our government knows what's doing best because what they did worked the first time around. And that justifies why they're able to do such draconian zero COVID policy measures that we see today and basically get away with it. Um, of course, the dissent, of course, the crackdown on that dissent but that would never work in America.
1: I think it's working right now. I think the fact that we're having this conversation and us, CNN, looking at China right now and saying, look at how awful China is right now. Look at all these people stuck in their compounds protesting. Look at this poor dog being beat to death, you know? Look at how amazing America is doing compared to that because we didn't have a zero COVID policy. But then that completely scraps the narrative of how many people died, you know, of still how many people aren't like, you know, aren't really getting vaccinated or refuse to get vaccinated. It kind of ignores the whole like issue that America has with COVID by looking at how badly China is doing right now. I mean, I think every single government does this. Um, specifically China and America, in terms of politicizing a virus and using it against each other to make their country seem so much better.
0: Yeah, I, I think media will always try to play these extremes to both sides and put them against each other. But here's my question for you. Having lived in China last year while the pandemic was huge here and you know I was here in New York having online classes, is would you... Do you think the cost of the personal freedoms people had to give up because of the zero COVID policy is worth the health benefits that the population then got? Assuming the data is all correct, that the Chinese government puts out.
1: Yeah, I do. I definitely do. I think I mean, I mentioned this, but like a lot of my my grandparents, I would say, survived because of China's policies. And right now, like, um, I just actually found this out yesterday when I was talking to my parents who are in China right now. Beijing, there are certain compounds that are under lockdown too. Um, so my grandparents are currently locked down, um, and they would have stayed there otherwise. They keep telling me, like, we would have, we're not really leaving our houses. Like, we don't really need the enforcement, we don't want to. So I think like a lot of people, a lot of citizens also want to contribute and like help out the overall community in limiting their own personal freedoms. That's something that America and China are very different about in terms of culture, right?
0: Right. It's like utilitarianism over individualism. Yeah, exactly. Because in America, like the sentiment, because my answer to the question would be that I think if I had to choose between the way U.S. handled it. And the way China handled it, albeit both in um, very different ways, with bad doing things wrong in different ways, I would take the American model over the Chinese model because, at the end of the day, the benefits, the health benefits my family endured, is because of our own risk averseness, and that every family, you get the right to say, like, here's the science, if this is trans. You know, mitting really fast, and if you wear a mask, it's going to help you, and you wash your hands, and you sanitize, and you avoid public areas. you know, you're going to be fine, for the most part. And the information is given to you, and it's now your decision. So it allows people to have the right to self-regulate, and it allows people to think, you know what, like, I've weighed the pros and cons, and I think that the pros of me going out, working in person at the office, outweighs the cons of the risk, because I'm a healthy, able-bodied 20-year-old. I think every person getting the right to self-regulate and self-govern, I think is far more important. Um, and I think the health costs that we endured, it's it's really it's really hard to justify it, but if I had to choose between the two, the Chinese model and the American model, I would still take the American model because I'd say the health cost is, at least it was within the American realm of like, people made the cost benefit analysis and like really messed up. I think that doesn't tr- 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 Hold true in some cases in America. For example, nursery homes where elderly people and sick people are stuck in a nursery home and unvaccinated or test positively tested people are coming in and now spreading a wildfire. You know, there's areas in our country where we should have really cracked down like people with heart disease or people who are overweight, like people we know that are much more uh, receptive to disease, of course you just crack down. I'm talking about the people like everyone else which endured the lockdowns the idea of self-regulation, I would take over the idea of the government knows what's best in all situations, and everyone has to stay home or everyone gets to go out.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I kind of want to, like, counter that a little bit. Like, imagine if you were out in a grocery store, and as you said, your family is more risk-averse. Um, you were going to go see your grandparents in a few days, so obviously you want to be safe. You don't want anything to happen to them. What is stopping someone who is less risk averse from not wearing a mask, coughing on you, you know, sneezing on you, and saying it's their right. Like not their right, but like saying, oh, I don't need to do that. I mean, I think like culture wise for me, like it's a privilege to say, I get to decide what I want. I think people, I I think in China, people are a lot more conscious and in other countries too, and I I value this um, in caring about what your impact on the larger community is. I think it's not like, oh, you know, as long as I live my life, it's okay. As long as I'm okay, as long as I get to choose what's good for me, you know, that's very individualistic. And I think obviously like that's something that has its pros, but when it comes to a disease that has impact on certain people within society more than others for example like you said elders it's not just about you anymore
0: right so the two things i would say to that is one at least in my experience in new york and then in new hampshire like very different political dynamics um the amount of people that don't wear masks when they're asked to wear masks in like grocery stores is very very small and the second thing is that um People who then like to your point of like oh I, like I have the right to like just cough wherever I want like people don't have the right right like if I have a disease and I'm aware of it or I or at least like very suspected to it and then I do anything that could purposely give it to someone else that's a crime right so I'm like still protected with that legal right and then the third thing is that I actually forget what the third thing was
1: but because of how good my argument was yeah exactly
0: but uh, what I'm saying overall is the way to handle that kind of situation in, is that, like, you go to the grocery store and it still is the self-calculation that you have to do, in that you know, obviously if my in my family, like, I'll go to the grocery store, I'm the one who can drive, I'm the youngest, and then you know, wear a mask, and social distance, and wash my hands when I get back, right, do all the things that are safe, and that way, it translates into my family being more healthy. But, should the government, like, we're, we're comparing, like, that to like a very draconian standard of like, everyone has to stay home. And if you try to leave your house, there are COVID workers waiting who are going to stop you from being able to do that. And there's no opportunity for you to go to a grocery store. And on the back on the end of that is not as a consumer, but as a business owner, not having the right to just produce for people who are looking for your goods, I think makes it very, very difficult to have a sustainable marketplace where people can earn incomes for themselves and their families. And I think people have the right to do that. If there's people who are willing to buy your product and there's people who are willing to sell that product, it is up to them to like make that relation, right? The way China just completely shuts down people. I remember one person, I think this was a case, where one or two people had tested positive in Shanghai's Disneyland and they shut down Disneyland and everyone in it. I think that's extremely draconian. And I think everyone going to Disneyland in America is making a self-regulated, self-determined cost-benefit analysis. And I think that model protects the individual liberties of people while allowing people to protect their own health to the extent that they want to. And I think that model is superior.
1: So what are your thoughts? Do you think there's a right model or a way that a country has successfully navigated COVID? Or is there even a right answer
0: to that? And more importantly, what is it that the COVID policies that these different countries imposed, what does it say more deeply about the kinds of populations, culture, and government structures that the two countries have?
1: Email us your thoughts at specs at stern.nyu.edu. Thank you.